Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners, so... Let's be friends. We've dropped in for a midweek recording to look back at some Canadian Grand Prix memories and we'll ask what makes the Grand Prix track stand out amongst others. And we've also drafted in a 50% Dutch panel for you today so we can zoom in on the reigning champ and find out what people in the Netherlands really think of him and why he is so popular amongst his fans. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. First up is the least interesting and exciting person in this week's lineup. It's just the normal, ordinary Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Nothing but streets, chicanes and a hairpin. That's it. Your favourite track. I do like the Canadian Grand Prix, even though it's fully populated by chicanes. And it would be easy to say I was a hypocrite because I said I wanted all chicanes banned. And that seems to be what you're implying. But it would have been easy, except for, of course, you just said it. Curses. He flipped it around on me. Also joining me is the much nicer and much more favourable in my eyes, Jules Sagers from the Netherlands. Hey, Jules. Good evening, guys. Hi. Hi, and uh, you are, uh, it's not tokenism, Jules, just because it's a Verstappen special. I didn't just draft in the nearest Dutch people I could find. It didn't feel like it when uh, when I was invited on, so it's all good. Okay, good. And the second nearest Dutch person I could find, I'm delighted to be joined by the gaffer of the top Dutch language F1 podcast. It's Lucas Dagen from the Race Reporter podcast. Welcome, Lucas. 
Hi, nice to be on your show again. Thank you. Ah, well, yeah, thank you. We didn't put you off last time because sometimes, believe it or not, the internet says that we're not always that that friendly or, or or praising enough of Max Verstappen. So I'm glad you could cross the water and be with us, Lucas. Yeah, no, no, no problem. But in honor of uh, our half Dutch panel, uh, let's start by talking about Supermax. <laughs> So believe it or not, I am actually not someone that specifically dislikes Max Verstappen. I promise. However, in the world of sport, I believe we can allow ourselves to be fans of a team or of a particular athlete. And in the context of that, we can allow ourselves to have rivals. Cough, Ferrari. Um, Your driver is always a hero and the other driver is just a bum in a rocket ship. And to an extent, I think we can allow ourselves that. It's a fantasy, it's part of the game, it's an escape, and it's all good fun, isn't it? To a point. And I've also accepted that, for my part, getting some heat from our Dutch friends is a part of that. And I believe, uh, you know, that you know the Hamilton fans giving me grief when Hamilton was dominating is also all part of that. Because on both sides of this fence, one of the strangest criticisms that we've had is our response to this kind of car domination that both Hamilton and Verstappen have enjoyed. It's not emphatic enough for for the fans of each driver. We don't credit the driver enough for bringing home a fast car. So as Hamilton fans, we've certainly, we've had that as well. But now Verstappen fans have finally reached the promised land. So I would like to ask you, Lucas, how does it feel for, for long-standing Max Verstappen fans? Like The dream has been completed you're here. It was a relatively slow journey to the stop, to the top. Actually, you've had to be particularly patient. But here we are, mana from here. Heaven. We are. Well, uh, it's a, it's it's mixed feelings because yes, I'm happy. We are all happy. But the, it's funny that you that you said so because uh, I think this week I was watching the first Grand Prix of Max Verstappen with his Toro Rosso, uh-huh. and it's a completely different Max Verstappen. Uh, back then we were still hoping and now it's well it's typical dutch like we we scored the points and now we're here and now you know we get we get a little bit of arrogant i don't know that's if that's the right word but comfortable yeah comfortable and we were expecting to max to be champion the upcoming years and you know it's it's we should still feel hungry you know what i mean yeah but i'm really happy that we're here of course it's been wonderful Oh, yeah, say so Jules. I mean, was there a sense of inevitability in the Netherlands that like it was only a matter of time before Max became champion? And obviously, that's what everyone was saying. And I was thinking like, well, it's not a foregone conclusion. But honestly, like the Verstappen fan base, well, like, there was never a doubt. He's definitely a future multiple world champion. Yeah, I think um, uh, trying trying to go back to to uh, the time when he uh, well he, he was rocketed into Formula One in the, in the Toro Rosso. And everybody was told, like, this is an exceptional talent and he's so young, you know, that was pretty much the 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 the, the main reason for people to start believing, like, wow, he's so young, he's the youngest yeah. Formula One driver ever. It must be special because you need to remember that for a um a sense of history of the sport and uh some some kind of reference framework yeah. that it's not really here. Uh, we're not a, a big motorsport country. So he was quickly framed as like, this is the next big thing thing coming. He's exceptional with 
it's, it's something we've never seen before. And then it was only boosted by him getting his first win in like his not even after a season and a half getting that Red Bull drive and, and getting that first win. And then from then on, uh, I think Lucas can, can, yeah. uh, can, uh, yeah. uh, underline that it's just gone. It's exploded. Crazy. So yeah. I think like when it's someone that you're watching from a junior series, I think, uh, British F1 fans, we forget that there was actually quite a, a dearth of, of British F1 talent for a while. So post Damon Hill, uh, Damon Coulthard not quite, you know, getting there, being behind Mika Hakkinen. And I'm, I'm, I was thinking about this earlier. I think there was a time where there was a, there was a couple of seasons with no British driver. I'm pretty sure. And I think then Anthony Davison uh, in his BMW was the only British driver for a season. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna get fact checked on that for sure. Uh, was it but, a Honda? Oh, maybe for yeah, Honda. Super, yeah, Super Aguri. Oh, Super Aguri, of course. Yeah, and then. When Jensen Button came in and Lewis Hamilton came in, there was a lot of excitement. So we were keeping an eye on Lewis Hamilton coming through F2 and or GP2, whatever it was at the time. And you go, yeah, there's this phenomenal talent coming up. So we weren't surprised. But I think to the non uh, you know, Dutch audience, uh, Lucas, we were surprised when everyone was clamoring to sign a 17-year-old driver. And you go, well, what, why? Why is, every, why is Mercedes fighting for him? Why is Red Bull fighting for him? Well, yeah, I don't want to be like arrogant, but but if, you, if we if we if we if if you watch the races of Max Verstappen at Toro Rosso, you could see like, wow, this is really special. You remember the drift he did at Brazil, where he like the uh, almost the last corner, he touched the curves, and you know everybody knew that this was something special coming, so. Yeah, it's a diamond. And I, I love watching Max Verstappen in his Toro Rosso. That was so special. I really yeah. love that. And I, I always said also in my podcast that, that I don't care how many times she becomes world champion. The first win and the first championship yeah. is, is for me is the, the most special. And of course, the race in Brazil, the rain, the rain uh, one. Is that the one where he nearly crashed? Oh, yep. Oh, right. Yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah, he was praised for doing one of the best crash avoidances ever. Okay, that that's fine. He's he's undoubtedly good in the rain. But actually, Lucas, what impressed in that race was the the gap between was it the gap between him and Daniel Ricciardo? Like they were pretty level. Then the rain came down. Oh, you, oh, you don't pay I don't attention. Know. I just know. The... I just know that that he, he overtook uh, Rosberg on the outside, and he he spun, and he, he, he you know he, he was almost running into the wall. Then let go of the brakes and, and correct it. And that he said, oh, yep, heartbeat went a little bit higher there. It was, <laughs> it was so cool. That was like, you know, and, and now actually I think he's so grown up. He's so cool and he, he knows exactly what he did. What what was the last time Max Verstappen made a mistake? I don't even remember. Hungary last year. That's, that's yeah, the but last Did you know how year. he corrected that? <laughs> <laughs> Straight out and back out. Jules. Yeah, the I remember... I I had to write a piece on him when um, it was announced that he was going to be picked up by Red Bull and going to be driving Formula One at 16 years old. And uh, I uh, uh, pulled a parallel between how his father, Jos Verstappen, entered Formula One um, in, in, a, in a top team, but also had uh, test drives for McLaren, uh, among others. And... Um, 
So that aspect of him being uh, the son of Jos, yes, um, yes. people kind of knew that he he had uh, been doing great in the karting series. Um, that uh, that brought something special as well, you know, because Jos Verstappen was the guy who put Formula One back on the map in uh, in in the Netherlands. It waned a bit after yeah. that, but um, you know that that aspect of 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 the Max Verstappen story definitely contributed yeah. to at least here. You know, uh, it it became a thing quite quickly. Matt, well, the interesting thing to me is to see the fact that, uh, to my memory, when Max came into the sport, it was he was the first person I saw come into the sport since Hamilton with that kind of a fanfare around him. Mm. And so uh, if you just go back and look at his junior record, you, you can see why people were excited about him, given the amount of wins that he had for the number of races that he did. Uh, but the big difference here is that he came into the sport, and I think this is really to his credit. He came into the sport with a lot of hype, but with almost no testing relative to what Hamilton was able to get when he came in. Now, we all know Hamilton came in after that glorious drive from the back that riveted everybody in the F1 paddock as he made it in GP2, as you mentioned there, Spanners. Uh, but for Max to come in and, and walk into a team at that age and be able to achieve that level of consistency, it, it really is remarkable. I, I mean, you know, I hats off to, to him because I wasn't sure at all because I felt like the hype train was clouding up the reality but no he mm. absolutely absolutely delivered on it so there's there's a couple of things where that, that demonstrate how good verstappen was when he came in and actually how good leclerc is but it, people were saying if a 17 year old can drive an f1 car f1 cars must be super easy to drive and the the remedy to that would be okay cool let's get all the 17 year olds in f3 and let's just stick them in f1 cars now and see if that's that's good and there was a similar one with Leclerc who drove one-handed while trying to fix his mirror around 130R at Suzuka. And everyone, oh, it's so easy. You can drive one-handed. No, Leclerc can drive one-handed. You can't. Uh, Lucas. Well, actually, it reminds me of, I met uh, uh, the grandfather, the father of Jos Verstappen. I met the, the grandfather of, uh, of Max Verstappen yeah. in, in Montfort. And he, he had a small ice uh, company, what is it called? Ice, ice cream store oh, nice. and i was sitting with him um outside having an ice cream and actually he wasn't convinced about how it would end up he said well i know what what the press were gonna say because for years the pre the dutch press were was were really hard on jos verstappen when he ended up in the in the grid and the the grind we call in dutch what is called the gravel oh so his 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 granddad was so insecure about the talent of Max because he said, well, because of the pressure he felt. And I said, no, no, come on. Max is so great. It's going to be fine. But I can still feel, feel his, his insecurity because of all the press uh, they put on Jos. That was actually kind of sad to see. Oh, we never saw that perspective. So Jos Verstappen, from yeah. our perspective, from a non-Dutch perspective, you know, he was a, a good midfield driver Probably, though, most famous for that explosion picture where the, the fuel pump was, yeah. you know, half off. He had that spectacular uh, pit lane explosion. But he never set, like, the F1 world alight. But yet he's such a powerful figure now, it seems, going forward in F1 as a, 
almost like as a manager. He's like a huge influence in F1. Yeah, but you, you gotta you gotta know that Dutch people are very very critical. No, am I? Is that is? Uh, my, Do you know what, Dutch... Lucas? I am learning that over the last few years. <laughs> I have I have learned that. You're very direct as a people. To be is that fair? Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but look, look, you, you guys have gone through that journey. I'm glad we had a little bit of a reminisce because it's easy to forget uh, how young he came in, and people say, "Well, he's still young. He's still a he's still a kid." But he has actually been in F1 for what is this seven seven seasons? I think someone do some maths for us, but it's been a long, you know, it's been a, 15. So it's eight, eight years, eight yeah. years. So he's been eight, eight seasons in formula one. Uh, for example, if you're a Hamilton fan, you had to wait one year for a title fighting uh, season straight away. 2007, he was right in there fighting for the title. Then 2008, bam, he gets that. But he could easily have gone through 2007, 2008 without a title. And then you'd have had some wilderness years scrapping around and then the the build-up year with Mercedes. And that's kind of what Verstappen fans have had to to wait for. But the question I want to pose to you now is, now that we're here, now that we're in the, the promised land, does the Verstappen fan base feel the pressure that I think Hamilton fans have had to do, had uh, over the years as well, which is, how do you justify your driver's performance in a in a dominant car where you know perhaps you you don't have to push you don't have to do that last 10% and you have people going well the red bull is an absolute rocket ship and f1 has always been to some extent the car it doesn't mean max isn't driving well or pushing is is there any kind of is there a dissatisfaction amongst the the fan base with that kind of advantage or is it all just windmills and tulips well we can put that to put that to anyone jules yep I think, as Lucas mentioned earlier, uh, the, the word might not be arrogance or more used to Max winning. And I feel, but that's that's just me going uh, on what I see on social media yeah. in the, in in the me- in in the regular media. Uh, uh, some some kind of uh, cetacean is that is that uh, the word? Like you're you're satirized, you're oh yeah, fulfilled. yeah. satiation, yeah, satiation, like filled, yeah, right? like filled with the accomplishments, satiation, yeah. Um, and and that's what you kind of sense. Uh, it's it's becoming the norm. Like it's it's normal that Max is winning now, and I'm I'm afraid. Uh, uh, Maria in the live chat just asked, like, how many of the 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 Dutch Formula One viewers would you reckon? would drop out if Max would quit or wouldn't win anymore. And I think a, a vast amount of them would lose interest in, in the sport if, uh, if there's not a Dutch driver or a Dutch successful driver. And um, so, but still, despite this, this satiation, uh, the minute when Hamilton uh, uh, starts to become a rival again or starts matching him, like we saw in... Uh, Spain the other day, um, you immediately immediately sense uh, this old rivalry firing up on the <laughs> socials in the tone of voice of the TV commentator. Even Horner, sure. even Horner as well. You could just a yeah, little you, you immediately sense like like everyone can be fast, but if Hamilton's fast, they they you know he's he's in in a <laughs> uh, get special treatment. Matt, well, I wanted to ask this question because I, I think. It wouldn't be surprising if I said, well, you know, if for any 
driver of nationality to win a lot of championships and then leave the sport, a certain number of people will leave with that driver because they were only there because they were supporting him for national reasons. But I'm curious, do you think Formula One could do anything to help sort of convert some of those Max only fans into general Formula One fans? Is this a special Dutch problem or do you, do you think it's just always going to be that way no matter what? Yeah, Lucas, think, you, oh, Joel's gone, sorry. Oh, yes. I think what you, what you saw in Germany when uh, uh, Michael Schumacher quit, uh, I think you'd, you'd see uh, um, a similar Simmel. kind of thing uh, when, when Max uh, or, or Senna as well um, quit, would quit. Still, I think the way uh, Formula One is uh, covered in the, in the media, how it has conquered a spot within the sports pages, uh, how it's become a topic on, on social media, in talk shows, definitely uh, a part of those fans would stick around because you know there's it's one thing entering the sport because of max Verstappen, but i'm 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 positive dutch are sports lovers they they love sports they love to feast uh, because of sports to 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 become a following so yeah i'm I'm convinced uh, some of them would stick definitely lucas Yeah, well, it's true. We we love football. We love cycling to the France. We love ice skating. Uh, But actually, uh, I think there are three or four Formula One fans. The real Formula One fan, the Max Verstappen fans, that if Max Verstappen leaves, then they will leave, and the drive to survive. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I I went to Spa-Francorchamps like for, for years. And I could feel and feel like the new Max Verstappen fans were coming. And I would call them the football fans right. that started watching yes. Formula One. And I didn't like that, actually, because they didn't know anything about Formula One. They didn't even know what a yellow flag was. So I hope we can convert them to Formula One fans. But on the other hand, if they leave, I actually wouldn't mind, if you know what I mean. So <laughs> are, you, are, we, are we talking about the, the flares is, is is that part yeah. of it? Is that part of yeah, it? Yeah, the beer drinking. Yeah. Hey, whoa, let's not. But, let's but go that's... easy on the beer drinking. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? I, I We love this sport and we watch it and we talk about it in a, in a podcast. But mm. there are so many people that, that don't know anything about Formula One and, and they're just a fan because of Max, which is fine. Mm. But yeah. Yeah, but I, I think that's from all. That's also with yeah. Senna and Schumacher. I think that's not typical Dutch. So we don't want to, you know, we don't want to gatekeep. I think all fans are are welcome in our house as long as you, you know, take your shoes off and wash your hands before dinner. That that's all good, and maybe park the flares every now and then. So yeah, it's inevitable that you know, like the German fan base seemed to to disappear when when Schumacher left. And uh, you know, and, and didn't and was failed to be recaptured by Vettel, and and I'm sure every nation would, you know, just have that kind of sporting default when you've got an athlete of yours doing incredibly well, you suddenly get into it. My goodness, it happens all the time in the Olympics. Like, are we a big ski jumping nation? No, but when Eddie the Eagle Edwards was there doing ski <laughs> jump, four years in, four years out, you know, we supported him. So it's not rare for a fan base to jump behind a, a particular athlete. So I, I think that's that's okay. So I'm definitely not gatekeeping that. And to an extent, like certainly if Lewis Hamilton quits, 
there will certainly be a huge chunk of people who were only really interested in in Lewis Hamilton doing well. So I'm sure that's fine. Uh, but uh, you you will ha- now have to uh, deal as a fan base, uh, Lucas, and I'm, I'm I'm making you a representative of all Verstappen fans. Uh, you, you're now having to kind of deal with like a lot of you know stuff that an incumbent champion deals with. So I did notice that he got accused of tax evasion. So, you know, welcome welcome to the club. Hamilton fans have had to deal with that for a long time. Uh, but yeah, obviously that's that's the price of, of finally reaching the pinnacle, the mountain. I just wanted to ask you from from the other side uh, to, to Jules and Lucas, like, how is Hamilton seen in in the Netherlands generally? Is is he kind of is he the Darth Vader that I always thought that Schumacher was? What do you mean with Darth Vader? You know, like the big bad. Is he like the big enemy of the of no. the sport? Oh, no. you mean oh, like 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 the pantomime villain? Well, if I may begin, a yes and no. When <laughs> when I was in Zandvoort, the first time it was in Zandvoort, people were clapping, paying respect to Lewis. Ah. because you can can you can't have not respect for someone that's seven time world champion or seven and a half, um, but. Personally, I I love the Lewis in the McLaren and not the, the Lewis in the Mercedes <laughs> because I I sometimes I think man come on stop crying on the radio but that's just personal. No, I think the Dutch really respect him, but there's also people that that like every time he says this is the the best crowd on the on the planet, <laughs> Twitter blows up. Like you know, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe he just means it. Maybe each time he loves the crowd <laughs> increasingly. All right, let's go to some of the Twitter responses, guys. So uh, open small. Um, I've categorised this. I asked on Twitter if you're a Max Verstappen fan, what do you love about Verstappen? And we had way more responses than I I thought I would get. And if you're a Verstappen fan who tunes into Miss Apex, thank you, thank you for you know putting up with me. I guess. So uh, one big part was aggression. So we had uh, Eric, uh, Mimi, Jordi, Ian, and uh, Sukiwi getting in touch and saying, well, Eric says, I like his aggressive style. He's not afraid of going after the the king. I respect Lewis, uh, but he went after him, and now it's his aggressive consistency, willing to take risks and not making mistakes. Mimi, I'm a big fan of aggressive wheel-to-wheel racing. That's what attracted me to Max. Jordi, Max is entertaining to watch, isn't afraid to go to the limits. Ian Turner cheekily says his ability to withstand 51G. And uh, uh, Suika Kiwi says uh, he's always honest. No BS, understated sense of humour, an amazing racer that goes to the maximum. Uh, this this is it, Jules, though, isn't it? This has been the, the definition of Max Verstappen. He came into a gentleman sport and ruffled feathers immediately. True. Um, he, he felt like he was... Um inadjusted um like socially i don't know the exact english word for that but like he didn't say the things that we are all used to formula one drivers say you know like the appropriate things the 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 conventional stuff he was he was a an 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 a unique individual it seemed even for at, at that at that age so that went for the things he said, the things he said on team radio, the the way he took on Carlos Sainz in uh, while while being oh, a yeah. rookie, um, and you I know forgot it about that transcended to his driving style. Um, you know, there's there we all know there are rules uh, brought into the sport, regulations because of Max's driving, and I think a part of Formula One viewers or fans 
think he's he's too much. He's he's over the top with that. But a lot of Formula One fans like that. Uh, you know that 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 un um, how do you say this? It's a pure way of driving. Relentless. Relentless. Oh, that's true, Matt. Relentless is a, a fair word. Well, <clears throat> sort of what I, I, I love about this, and, and, and to me, like what Jules just said there, this is like the classic reason people say they liked Kemi Raikkonen, for example. He just said things. They weren't the correct things. They weren't the incorrect things. It was literally like what he was going to do the next second. It didn't matter. People liked it because it was just different to your standard uh, sort of uh, apologies to Chris Stevens here, it's sort of PR speak that the drivers <laughs> tend to be programmed with when they get sent out to the uh, media bullpens and whatnot. But your comment about his driving, um, I also love. I like, and I said this about Alonzo too. He had a certain, has a certain ability to find the legal limit of rules that most people wouldn't think to explore. And I'm going to bring the sport of hockey into this briefly. There was a player. I think for the Rangers, who who got an entire rule written for him because he realized there was no rule against standing directly in front of the goalie and literally just like smacking him in the head with a stick or something like that. And he did this in a game, the Rangers won it, and then they immediately changed the rule to yes. keep any player from ever doing it again. And his genius was he just realized like, oh, well, I can actually do this and it's going to make it a lot easier for my team to win. Like that NASCAR guy that did the wall run. Towards the yeah, end exactly. Of the <laughs> wow. Lucas. I, I have another example. Uh, Silverstone 1999. Schumacher. He got the black flag or the black and white or the, the whatever. And he, he just finished the race in the pit in stop. In the pit lane, yes. It was, that was amazing. And that, that's, that's, I think, the per, exactly example. Okay, but does Verstappen go too far? Because in his in his youth, in his build up, like he was happy to hit his own teammate in China. He was happy to run roughshod over people. He was happy to cut in front of Ricardo at Baku. Like, d- did you guys, as fans, did you ever think, "Oh, come on, Max, you're going too far there"? Jules, definitely, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know Jules will agree. <laughs> go on, you go first, Jules. Then Lucas can make the case. No, definitely. Um, uh, I think we all know the examples of, of uh, when Max would, would, in my opinion, go too far. Uh, Brazil, when when he uh, uh, drove Hamilton off uh, of the track, and that was not the only oh, yeah. time, but also, um, you know, uh, other examples of him being well, so unadapted, which, which was the word I was looking for, um, and, and relentless that you can't, demand people to leave you space or or create space for you and and not think that goes the other way around and that's that's where he, he crosses the line for me well i think you need to cross the line to know where the line is and oh, yes. the only thing i really didn't like was uh brazil last year with perez come on oh We're not letting as a team yes. yeah, yeah for points but besides from that I agree, but, we, but this is Formula One, and we don't—we're not friends. We don't. Have to, it's a fight. It's like it's like gladiators. So yeah, sometimes it's, it, yeah, Conchos. it's racing. <laughs> but but then on the other hand, somewhere you you have to admire him for that because <laughs> you know M- Michael Schumacher, uh, Ayrton Senna, yep. even Seb Vettel, multi twenty one. You need these these villain esque. Uh, uh, behaviors uh, that that make you stand out, you know that 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 
apparently uh, often create the world champions. True. One small thing. I think that Russell is acting to be that, like that because 100%. he used to be really nice yeah. in Williams, but now he's thinking like, oh, I have to be a, like Max calls him a D hat. I think that's what Russell is trying to do now. Like, okay, let's oh, use bro. the elbows and then I'm going to be champion. Uh, Russell is 100%. He is in that mode. He's fooled everyone with his British plumminess. Like, oh, let's go for a lovely drive in the race cars. Oh, dear. I seem to have uh, slammed Bottas into a wall. I'll just touch his helmet to make sure he's okay. Yeah. But no, yeah. Russell is an absolute weapon. Absolutely, trust me. He is definitely, definitely in that vein. And actually, listening to this, you know, uh, I think a lot of Hamilton fans are often disappointed that older Lewis Hamilton doesn't leave a foot in like he used to. So like Hamilton definitely went through this phase where he was uh, a menace, not so much in the championship early fighting years, but then like subsequently 2009, particularly 2011, he seemed to, he was hitting everyone. He was hitting Maldonado. He seemed to hit Massa seven times a race. And he, <laughs> he definitely went through that phase. And I think he copped an awful lot of criticism for that kind of, heart on the sleeve driving and it was almost like he took it personally and now he he really goes out of his way like now he's probably one of the cleanest drivers on the grid he never wants to get in any confrontation especially on lap one you know we'll 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 we'll, uh, you know do the risk reward calculation and be on the cautious side let someone through and you know as Hamilton fans we find sometimes can find that that frustrating so you know so you you kind of you do want that in a racer but Verstappen I think just took it to the extreme Matt but my, my my criticism was never for Max doing that it was always that the stewards allowed it but I, I just feel like the rest of the grid took a really long time to catch up and go look if Max is allowed to do that you're allowed to do that as well well yeah and I honestly I love the fact and I made this point before that if you want to win a race Never mind win a world championship. You have to, when you are in competition, you have to have the mind of an absolute killer, of a mob boss. You have to be the Pablo Escobar of the Peloton. Since <laughs> okay. Lucas brought up cycling, I'm watching this great documentary on Netflix, sort of their drive to survive for the Tour de France. And it made me think of uh, Lance Armstrong, of course, disgraced for doping, which everybody was doing. But there was a moment where he was racing his pure rival, Jan Ulrich, they really were very evenly matched. And they're halfway up some just brutal climb. And Lance turns around and looks at Jan, and it's called The Look. You can go Google it right now. He looks at him. <laughs> you can see he smells blood. He senses weakness. And he turns around and just rides away from him. He's like, I don't care how much this is going to hurt me. It's going to hurt you more. Therefore, I'm going to do it. And I love the idea that we project onto these people in, in these arenas with these artificial rules, our ideas of civility and how people should behave. But if you want to win, and uh, you know, I think we have our own missed apex equivalent and Brad sometimes, <laughs> you have to really be willing to find the very edge of the rules and do things that are, well, let's just use the color gray perhaps to represent. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. When Hamilton and Verstappen kind of met, they, they met at different points in their career. So may, maybe they met in 2021 with Hamilton just like still great, but just past like his, his maximum, maximum, you know, peak. Just age is a thing. No, no one at me. And Verstappen still, you know, on his way up, his peak yet to find. But they met at a time where Hamilton was had spent years giving Verstappen room because he wasn't a title rival. And then when it was a real title fight, he still did that. And that, that was disappointing. Like, there should have been times where Hamilton should have stuck his nose in, left his foot in, uh, or just let Max hit him. Like imagine like Brazil. That was 2021, wasn't it? With the turn four, let, just let them race. What, what do you think, Lucas? If, if, a, if one of those occasions, even in Abu Dhabi, what if Hamilton had just stood his ground and just let the staff and hit him? Well, first I want to go back to Imola in the rain, the yes. first lap. Yeah, yeah. I I still can't believe that Lewis didn't hit Max over there, and I don't care. Let let, let him hit him. Let, yeah. Just like Baku, Daniel, and Max, I enjoyed it. That's <laughs> that's what I'm watching Formula One for. I, I'm watching a show. I don't actually yeah. don't care who wins. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a good show, but and, and actually, and, you know, just to think if you know, not too much from a Hamilton perspective. Even when Hamilton was battling Rosberg, we were on this post. A podcast or, or a earlier version of it, Matt. And we were saying, like, we wish Rosberg would just hold his ground because Hamilton just kept running him off the track. Yeah, well, and, and this is the thing. This is what that sort of behavior counts on is accommodation from the other writer. And, yeah. and I love it. And this is the thing about Formula One and, and about all sports. At that moment, it's an extremely high stakes game of poker. Each side has made a bet and you either go all in or you fold. All right. I have a small question. All right. Adelaide, 1994, Jerez, 1997. Is that what we want? Schumacher driving into Damon Hill, driving into Jacques Villeneuve? Because that's, 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 that's what that's, that's for me, that's over the edge. That that's a stewarding issue. But maybe maybe well. that's we should, mm. shouldn't get into it. No, let's know. get into it. No, you can't bring up ninety four no, without because, me getting into it. Where is why? Where, where does it end? This is the question. My question. I'll be honest with you, Lucas. Right, Abu Dhabi, twenty twenty one. The 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 hurt of that is somewhat is somewhat like muted by the fact that I was still mad 
about 94. <laughs> like, I still hadn't got over that. And you go, that's just a stewarding issue. So they, they got the stewarding wrong. The Schumacher should have just been disqualified from the race and, uh, and the championship, to be honest. Uh, but that did happen in 97. Uh, it's easier to disqualify someone from second than it is from first place. That's all I'll say. So you're right. I shouldn't get into it. What I should do is get back to these uh, great tweets about why people like Verstappen. And then we're going to move on to uh, looking at Canada very shortly. Uh, Kyle says, or Kale says, uh, he just loves racing more than anyone on the grid. He wakes up, he goes sim racing, race weekend, he goes home, plays on the sim again. He enjoys it so much. And he's the reason I started watching in 2017. And I have been a fan since. Uh, and Lucas, I, I gather you're not a fan of the, the sims. I do or, sim or, No, no, of, of him I, I, sim racing, of Max sim. Yeah, what's wrong with that? I like it. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, but he does seem to like literally eat and sleep and breathe racing. Yeah, mm. well, he's still young. Let him be a kid also. Like, like have mm. a parallel life. Like, be still be young and, and, you know, that's okay. His outright speed appeals to me, says Neil. Uh, the moment he got into F1. I'm an old dude who's watched a lot of amazing drivers, but Max has the ability to put the car where the car wants to be, and that's not always the perfect racing line. He seems to just find the speed. R- reminds me a lot of Michael Schumacher. So here's a question I'll, I'll put to you guys. When it comes to, to this that Neil has pointed out, just pure out-and-out speed, I do feel that Formula One's drivers aren't on the same out-and-out uh, out quality of field that, say, soccer is at or professional 100-meter uh, sprint. So they are they are sports where you know there's a high participation and and you've pretty much narrowed down to the best that a human being can do and you have really competitive fields. I don't think we've got twenty drivers on the same level. The gap is actually quite big. Who's on the Verstappen level of out and out speed? Let's go. Let's go with Jules. Jules, who's on? I'm assuming you agree Verstappen is that top level of the current field of, of speed. Who else is at that level? Fully agree. I'd say only three drivers. Uh, him, uh, Hamilton, and Alonso, uh, and some might find oh, like Alonso it. arguable, <laughs> yeah. uh, and I could agree with that as well. But um, apart from that, I think uh, there's a, a pretty large gap to a, a bunch of them, yeah. and then you have like the bottom. <laughs> so I think a lot of people would put Leclerc in that if we're saying the you know that that top four, but that that does mean there is room for a driver to stand out. So, for example, I don't know, you know, if you put go-karts in every primary school, obviously I think you should you should have 20 drivers at the pace of Verstappen. But where the sport is now, you see a driver with that out-and-out speed and he's been kind of bred differently and can get the most out of the car. You, you, we, are seeing something, we are seeing something special. And then uh, Mark Nicholson addresses the elephant in the room. Why do you love Max Verstappen? The answer for most of them is that he's Dutch. The, the Belgians seem to have ignored their association with him and he's a winner. <laughs> That seems to be sufficient. And I think that's fine. In sport, I think you're completely allowed the shortcut where you support the the local athlete, the local driver. I'm a Colchester United fan. Coincidentally, they happen to be the greatest team ever. It's just a coincidence that I was born nearby. But I accept that that, that might look to some people like I just supported them because I, I live next door. Lucas? Oh, yeah, just a small question to Matt. <laughs> uh, you are from America, right? America? I- so were you a big, uh, yeah. big fan of uh, Andretti? Was I a bit uh, of Mario, you mean? No, uh, in Formula One. It's Michael, I think. Oh, I, well, you mean the current Formula One bit? Yeah, uh, so when, yeah, when in 1993. Oh, in 93. Well, you managed to hit 
that point in time where I was watching cycling instead okay. of Formula <laughs> One. Okay. Or paying attention. Well, paying attention. There was no Formula One available for me at that time. Okay. Um, but uh, I, I was a big fan of Mario when Mario was in Formula One. That's kind of how old I am. How about that? Okay. All right, Matt. What say you that we uh, we look forward to the next probably wet Grand Prix? I think we can do it. Let's do it. I don't need your permission. I'm just going to decide. Yeah, that's right. I'm the best one. You should follow me and Matt, though. We're quite, well, we're all right on social media. I'm at Spanners Ready, and Matt is at MattPT55. And you put all our links handily in the show notes. So on your app, swipe left or, or right, uh, or on YouTube, scroll down, and you'll see all the links there. And uh, we should get these guys' social media links as well. Uh, Lucas, where do we find you on, on Twitter? Uh, Lucas Deacon. D-E-G-E-N. There we go. And link in the show note below. And it's at Jules Sagers F1. Correct. Yes. No, no F1. Just Jules Sagers. At Jules Sagers. All right, cool. And remember... He doesn't need the F1. Exactly. And remember, if you want to encourage this general kind of thing, uh, support us on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Or if you think we're doing a brilliant job and you want to specifically buy me or Matt a, the equivalent of a pint or a cup of coffee, it's mistapexpodcast.com forward slash tip jar. And uh, anything that, that keeps us from being... We could be taken over any minute by one of the big conglomerates. You don't want that, do you? Come and support Mist Apex Podcast. Or do we want that, Matt? Do we want to sell out? I don't know. For $550 million, I might have to think about it. $1 billion and we're in. Let's look forward to the Canadian Grand Prix. I have asked some of our panel to talk about their their 20, uh, their sorry, their Canadian Grand Prix memories. And 2011 is the one that comes up most often. And thank you so much, Lucas, for uh, for sharing a link with me. And I sat and I watched uh, an extended highlights of the, the 2011 Grand Prix. And it just transported me. To a different time, Lucas. Kobayashi versus Massa. Michael Schumacher <laughs> clutching second place mid-race. Uh, an absolutely chaotic race and, and definitely a Canada classic. Wow. That was, I think, maybe the best race I've ever seen. Yeah, and all the way through, like you couldn't have called that from a, from a long way out. No, I think we had to stop for a, f- a few hours, actually, because it was raining so hard. Did it? Yeah, it started. It, there was definitely a, a red flag. I can't remember yeah, if there was more. I think more it was than... the longest Grand Prix ever. I'm not sure about that. And that's probably why they brought in the rule that, okay, uh, four hours and we're done because <laughs> uh, yeah. TV scheduling starts to, to get into the way. But uh, the, the famous one from that is always the, the button win. So Jensen wow. Button, yeah, ben, Jensen Button Jules, I think he had, oh, oh Matt, sorry. Was it three, right. three pit stops and a drive through and then one? Uh, I don't care because oh. you made me watch the highlights. I just need to point <laughs> out to everyone who remembers this solely as Button's laudatory drive to an irresistible victory that literally on the last lap, foreshadowing perhaps, Sebastian Vettel in the lead and fairly unpassable, just like missed a turning point and drove off the track and let Button win. So I just feel like I need to add that right now. So this is hailed as a glorious Jensen Button victory, but it's a bit more complicated than that. And I, I'm glad I watched that because I had to remind myself of it. Because at the time, I remember thinking, I remember thinking, oh, that's a quite a spawny win. And actually, he was a bit of a menace in that race. 
but it has been lauded as this great victory. So looking back on it, like he fully just drove Lewis Hamilton into the wall quite randomly. And maybe the, the commentators were saying, oh, he couldn't see with the spray. But he did. And it is not very Jensen Buttony to like just deliberately crash someone. But he did drive Lewis Hamilton in the wall. He kept his, stuck his nose in and was pointing not towards the next apex in turn three and took Alonso out. And and yeah, and uh, and of course benefited from the red flags and a safety car. And then uh, actually that last stint though, Matt, I would say the last stint was really great. And he had to go through Weber and Schumacher to, to fight through. And yes, he was gifted it at the end, but it was still a good drive at the end. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no doubting it was a good dr- He wouldn't have passed all those people if he wasn't really specifically on it that day in that car. But it's funny how, to me, the little things, if Vettel hadn't done that, would we even talk no, about that possibly drive not. in the same way? Possibly not. And it was, it's a, like you said, it was a foreshadowing because that it was a really slow speed, weird spin. And it was the kind of spin that then plagued his ferrari career as well so he just kept you know 2017 2018 he just ha- kept having these really slow speed uh just under throttle spins which seemed to just basically throw away that that championship so that isn't the only win he's thrown away at the canadian grand prix lucas 2019 uh he threw away a win as well yep he uh, went off well was it the chicane or i don't know what i'm really it was the chicane before the hairpin yeah, yeah. true and then he uh, came back on a track. Lewis put his nose in. He said, uh, Vettel said, I didn't see see Lewis. And then he got a penalty and he swapped the, <laughs> we all remember swapping the, the P1 and P2 sign afterwards. That was fantastic. Yeah, that was, that was a, Vettel. Yeah, he was, in, he was in full down meltdown mode. I have to say, right, go, go and watch, go and watch that back. Go and search uh, Canada 2019 Vettel penalty. It will definitely come up instantly because there was so much controversy about it. But he lost it on his own. Another unforced error. And and this is unfortunate. Like Unforced errors define Vettel's time at Ferrari, even though the 2019 car ultimately wasn't competitive because they were only allowed to use the legal amount of fuel per second or whatever it was into their fuel tank. Yeah, he lost it on his own, cut the chicane. Hamilton just driving completely normally. Vettel goes back on the track ends up forcing him past the white line gets a five second penalty for it is not happy at all and uh swaps the p1 and p2 marker boards and vettel's got previous for this you know he he under the safety car in baku he drove his car to hit lewis hamilton got a 10 second penalty or a drive-through and they said oh you got a penalty for dangerous driving and literally said when did i do dangerous driving when you used your car as a retaliatory weapon into Lewis Hamilton. So he, de- he definitely had form for, for that, Lucas. Like, as cool as everyone thought Grandad or, oh, yeah, Uncle yeah. Seb was for Aston Martin, definitely is a fiery character. True. It was in Mexico. Was oh. His finger at Max Verstappen. Oh, and, 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 this, and, and to Charlie. And yelling at Charlie, Charlie Whiting, yeah. Yeah, yeah the message is emotional, passionate. We call it passion. There we go. I like that. But your memories, Jules, of the Canadian Grand Prix... Like in antiquity, you, you've basically said the Canadian Grand Prix, uh, uh, Centurion uh, Julius Montgomery, uh, with his, you know, his his pilau and his Roman shield, took a great victory in the uh, two thirty one GP. Not that far uh, back. Not that far back. You've gone to the eighties though. 
Yeah, uh, early 90s. Early 90s, there we Yeah, go. with, uh, with uh, Nigel Menzel um, uh, uh, botching a win. Oh, the, was, that, the, was, that, was that Montreal? Yeah. That was Montreal. It, oh, explain it. Explain uh, it to us. Explain it. So, context, I'll try to keep it short. 91 season, uh, Edwin Senna had uh, one pole and uh, the Grand Prix of the first four races. And arriving in Canada, um, all of a sudden, Nigel Mansell in this this terrific FW14 uh, had a shot at ending that uh, that streak by Senna. Uh, a lot of drivers uh, dropped out of the race because of uh, mechanical failures, the McLarens, uh, the Ferraris, I believe. So Mansell was on a 50-second lead in the final lap. And oh, he, he enters the, the hairpin, which we all know. And he starts waving to the crowd. Oh, I remember, you know, I remember. You, you so see his, his glove out of the cockpit, waving to the crowd. And and he stalls the car. He lets the revs drop too low and the car stalls. And you, it, and all of a sudden you see him exiting the hairpin. And you just you just see he lacks the speed, you know. And he's stalling. And, and uh, Murray Walker, you can hear him like, oh, no, Mansell's a stall. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, it was Nelson Piquet uh, who was, you know, he's already gone in his mind. He was in his last season at Benetton. He's 50 seconds behind Mansell. And because everybody else failed to finish the race already, Nelson Piquet all of a sudden won his final Grand Prix because of that. And it was just a typical Nigel Menzel drama, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> breaking his own windows, oh, uh, that type of thing. People forget how much uh, Nigel Mansell absolutely like loved the show and what oh, a yeah. showman he was. Like if you oh, yeah. if you think Alonso, because Alonso always says, you know, oh yeah, well, uh, I my engine was on fire and I still won. You know, it's the whole magic Alonso yeah. meme. Yeah. Mansell was definitely like that, and he he caught the passion of the Italian fans. He was El Lionel. And he definitely like like in Lotus, didn't he? Like he ran out of fuel, and then he got out of the car, and he dramatically pushed yep. it over the line, and and then woe is me, <laughs> collapsed with heat exhaustion. Yeah, come on. Yeah, when, when Nigel, when drama was never far away, you know. So uh, and and another one. Can I can I slide in just another golden oldie? Because it's it's you know yeah, everybody loves the sound of the Ferrari V12s or V12 oh. engines, you know. And the Canadian Grand Prix in 1995, yep. um, Jean Lazy uh, in the Ferrari, in the red Ferrari, um, uh, carrying the num- number 27, you know, the Gilles Villeneuve look. Um, and he won his first and only Grand Prix that year at, at, uh, at the Gilles Villeneuve track. And it was the very last victory for a V12 engine in, um, in Formula One. Ferrari were back then the only team still. Uh, carrying a V12 engine, everybody else had gone back to V10s, V8s. So I think that's uh, you know for Formula One history, it's a pretty pretty nice fact. I, I honestly, like. when I saw in the notes that you'd gone back to the 90s, I thought I wasn't going to remember, but it's all flooded back. Uh, Lucas, yeah. I know you were trying to get in with with Mansell as well, so feel free to go to either of those. Well, I, you said um, Nigel Mansell was a well emotional person, but can he you remember? It. I think it was 1992, Canada. Where he spun, ah. and he acted like he was so hurt because, well, he hit the the gravel, and then he waited for Senna to come by, oh, and he, he was stood. Like pointing his he finger, stood at the side. like it's your fault. And I really thought, whoa, what happened to Nigel? What happened to Nigel? Because I was young and I didn't know Nigel, 
So and then I thought, <laughs> wow, you're such a drama queen. But <laughs> 1995, Ayrton Senna was actually the first time I cried watching Formula One because I was such a big fan of Nigel Mansell. And I, I still gives me goosebumps because the Dutch commenter he said well the car is sticking together with tape because if you look if you look back to the race there was tape hanging on the ferrari which year and is this uh, 1985 85, and Lacy yes, yes, won, yes. won the race so he said and, and jean lacy doesn't give a damn about the tape because this is his win and <laughs> that was wow it's you know your, your first win is the best Oh man! Oh man! I look, the thing is, when you're when you're a kid, like all these races wash over you. So the fact that you guys have done some research and I go, I remember that race. I had no idea. I had no idea it was at the Canadian Grand Prix. And look, the the track is is an anomaly. Like there's no track like the Canadian Grand Prix. It falls in this mystical land between street circuits and and proper Grand Prix tracks, if you like. In that the track itself kind of. It, it's laid out and it's raced. It could it could be a a bespoke track in the middle of a field somewhere, but it's not. It's surrounded by walls. The track surface is is more akin to a, a street track. They always seem to run the lowest. So it's, it's low wear, isn't it, Matt? Let's get into tires. We'll get into a bit of Canadian Grand Prix stuff. My memory is from the from the the olden days, the of prime and option that it was it was definitely a track that always favoured the softer tires, or they went with the softer tires. Uh, well, I mean, <clears throat> when you get into it, it, it's a street circuit because of the chicane-like nature and the hairpin. You're always going to need a good, what they like to call sort of more mechanical grip. And, and I think one of the things that, that people like about the circuit is it places um, it, it's, it places a lot of emphasis on driver skill. And I think driver feel, because like turn one, turn two, that's sort of reminiscent of Brooklyn's and Luffield. Where, where the driver makes a lot of the difference in looking out at the tires. But I love yes. that you bring up tires because of the two memories I had. Uh, one was 2014, the Massa Perez collision. <gasps> that was huge. And go and look that up. Everyone go and look that up now. Massa Perez <laughs> crash in, in Montreal. That was down the home straight. And that was, yep. who, I think, was that Perez just steaming through? It was one or the other. I can't remember. It was, well, Perez got the penalty for it. But the reason I remember it is because by now Twitter was a thing. And I believe there was probably six months worth of angry conversations with lots of diagrams, pictures with lines drawn on them. Yeah. That filtered through my timeline. And I, I, I always said to myself, like, how... How into something do you have to be that you would spend hours drawing lines to make your point about <laughs> whose fault it was? Oh, we've done and that, that was clearly before we started yeah, this yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It, it was. It was um, I think that was actually the first season that we covered you and me. In fact, 2014. Because yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll always remember it because of the double points Abu Dhabi decider. Oh gosh, yeah. Abu double. Yeah. Yes, huh? because yeah. Hamilton was clear by more than a race win, but the double points thing made it so either driver could win and Rosberg had a gearbox failure. But if Hamilton had happened to have that gearbox, it would have been yeah. the other way around. And yeah. the that would have been imagine like, you know, Abu Dhabi 21. It, I think it would have been similar to that, the fact that he'd lost out because it was some weird double points thing. There's no way for it to have not been controversial if that's the way it had worked out. But the other uh, other race, Canadian race, that we're not talking about Full that stop. we absolutely should, although I think Kyle might have referenced it in our last news show, is the 2010 Grand Prix, where Bridgestone brought entirely the wrong tires 
the circuit was completely resurfaced and then it rained right before the race, making the track absolutely green. And there was suddenly a multitude of tire strategies, a fascinating race. None of the team's strategists knew exactly what was going to happen until the last moment. There were multiple pit stops. And at the end of it, pretty much everyone agreed like, geez, if we could only write Formula One regulations so that we, every race turned out like this, it would be the best sport ever. And, and that's, that's exactly what... the brief that got handed to Pirelli. And it's why we see the racing we see today. Mm, yeah, that, well, that, I do remember that. Obviously, that was an extreme version. And then we, we had a, a period where we had chocolate tires that would be great, 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 then gone. And we had the, we had the cliff. I missed the cliff. You missed the cliff. Yeah. yeah well, the, the interesting in 2013, that's where Pirelli tested the tires that came after the chocolate tires because the previous race in Barcelona had been won by Alonso with a, get this, a four stopper. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And even they said, well, maybe, well, that's, maybe that's a too bit much. much. <laughs> maybe that's too much. But in 2010, like a lot of people forget things that happen. Classic Hamilton ran out of fuel in qualifying. He got like, He got out of his car and was pushing it down the back straight. And uh, McLaren actually got a penalty for that because he, he basically, they said, turn off the car. You won't have enough fuel for a sample. <laughs> and the marshals helped him push it. Um, oh, Petrov. Remember, yeah. Do you remember Petrov at the start of 2010? Of course, everybody does. He got two drive-through penalties in the first 100 meters of his race. I'm just saying it was a wild one. Go back and watch <laughs> it if you can. Uh, yeah. Uh, Canadian Grand Prix. Let's, uh, let's uh, go back to the circuit. I love the fact that you compared turn one and two to Brooklyn's Luffield. It's similar. It's like a tighter version of Brooklyn's mm-hmm. and Luffield. It's not quite as lingering. It's not quite as sweeping. But we do see good racing. I hope these cars can live up to it. But certainly watching that 2011 replay, such good racing into turn one and turn two. And that's still in the DRS era as well. Uh, but yeah, so that's a, a great section. And then we kind of get into this Monza-esque section where we have chicane, chicane, chicane. And, and then the big hairpin, which I love. But what, why, why don't these chicanes irritate me as much as other chicanes on the calendar? Because, Matt, you called out the hypocrisy. So stand by it now. Why, why, am I, why am I right and wrong? Well, I mean, I think it's because, you know, all chicanes aren't. All chicanes yeah, are equal, yeah. but not all chicanes are equal, if you catch my drift. They're not um, safety chicanes, are they? Like, like the old Barca one. No, none of, first of all, none of them are very slow speed. So that's, that's one thing that you have going in your favor. They're all sort of a different uh, amount of distance and time between the flip and the flop of the chicane. Uh, and because ultimately that kind, of a, that kind of a thing in a track, especially a track that is bumpy, especially a track that might be rained on, oh, yes. essentially... Is, is it's an error generator for the drivers. It's very hard for the teams to get it right because the, the, not all the bumps are predictable. I don't care how many times they laser scan the track and mm-hmm. run simulations. You know, you're going to hit that bump and suddenly the car is going to go in opposite direction to the 9,000 times it did before and smash. You've got an error generator. You've got the wall of champions or uh, out of one of the chicanes, or as I like to call it, the wall of everybody's now because it seems like everybody's crashed into it, right? It's one of the it's one of the oldest cliches, isn't it? This is uh, what do you call it? This is confirmation bias. When a when a champion or a future champion hits the wall of champions, they go, "Oh, see, there it is again, the legend of the wall of champions." 
And then if Latifi hits it, they just go, oh, Latifi hit the wall. Like, don't, don't, mention, don't mention the fact that it invalidates the wall of champions thing. I don't, let, let's not get rid of the magic of it, though, because it is genuinely a turn that's an error generator because it invites the drivers to be in on the limit. And then when they're just over it, Jules, they, they get stung. Yeah, I think that's why you don't mind these chicanes as much because I think every chicane, besides it, be, it being uh, a bit fluid, having a flow, you know, um, I think every chicane on that track uh, has a wall beside it to punish yeah. you and not yes, a, a, I think a gigantic right. gravel trap. Except for the one whatever. Vettel went over to get his completely justified penalty in 2019. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the the punishment to mess up the chicane is 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 uh, so severe, and mm. in uh, most cases, uh, uh, is this uh, proper to say lethal? Yeah, well, yeah, uh, yeah. A, a wall at the end of fast things is generally potentially lethal, and that's a that's an inherent part of motorsport. Thankfully, it has been a, a mitigated a lot by the great work of the the people who. Uh, are pushing for safety in Formula One. So uh, the, the the overtaking, I'm hoping, will be less of an issue here because you do have two big, long straights, and I'm assuming they will both be DRS zones. I think we will get some interesting racing because both of those DRS zones traditionally have kind of, they've let you close the gap up, but you've still got work to do into the final chicane and into turn one. So it is a race I'm looking forward to. I will say, in general, when it's completely dry, the Canadian Grand Prix, it's a little bit like Baku. In the complete dry, most of those races are fairly standard, and if it's a Pirelli one-stop, then you can reduce your expectations accordingly. However, I have a weather report, and I'm more than happy to hope for chaos because on the Sunday, it's saying 21 degrees, and it's saying 50% a chance of precipitation of moisture on the track. So I think I think that should be a lot of fun. Uh, it will, of course, I think it will mask the upgrades from uh, or how effective the upgrades are from uh, Aston Martin and the previous Mercedes upgrades. I, I think Canada was always going to be unrepresentative anyway, so we may as well have a bit of chaos and fun in the rain. Thank you very much for tuning in to Missed Apex Podcast. If you are a Dutch speaker... Go and tune into The Race Reporter. Where do, we, where do we find that most easily, Lucas? F1podcast.nl And uh, yeah, and always in Dutch? Always. I, have, I, I listened to it and I was like, oh, the audio quality is really good. I, I, oh, I, thank I you so much. I don't understand what they're saying, but it sounds, <laughs> in Dutch, everything sounds sleepy and casual, but with an air of menace. And I liked it. I'm thinking of uh, maybe using AI and do the Japanese Grand Prix in Japanese. Oh, I I also won't understand that either. So that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't help me at all. Uh, but I hope you'll come back throughout the season and beyond as well. Uh, maybe we can send a missed Apex representative in the form of Jules Sagers. Go and follow him. Uh, Jules, why are you not tempted to get your pen out and start just writing some rambling F1 diatribes? Often, often feel like it, and um, yeah, I definitely have still still have this uh, this ambition and so, itch uh, yeah. underneath. We'll yeah, see how that definitely. goes. Go and follow Jules on Twitter. Links in the show notes below. Go and follow Matt at MattPT55. And uh, yeah, your uh, Mrs. Trumpets, old Amanda. She's still writing them uh, them books. She's still writing those those romantic novels, Matt. It it has been a little while since a new one has been written. 
but uh, she has one that's, um, well, we're considering for re-release. It needs work. It needs effort. And it might be based in a, a sport that could be considered Formula One, except Adjacent. for copyright and trademark purposes. There's going to be a Formula One drama film that's come out. It's, it's been licensed. It's going to be a drama set around the world of Formula One. So that's real hot right now. I think we should uh, we should get that going. And do it in a male voice so that we can have a, a swarthy uh, English narrator. That would be oh. that would be the plan. So look out. I am also recording currently an audio book. So I'm hoping that if you enjoy a short fantasy story about, uh, you know, someone using magic and stuff to like fight giants, then you will be tempted to go and buy an audio book from Spanners. But until then, you will have to make do with the fact that we are going to be live for the Canadian Grand Prix around... I don't know, it ends at 9 o'clock, so maybe we'll go for an 11 p.m. start, which is why I've drafted in a, a largely North American panel. Uh, we'll have Matt, we'll have me, we'll have Christina, we'll have Antonia, but we will have your review ready for your Monday morning commute. So until then, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Mr. Apex Podcast. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.